inspired word, your glorious, powerful word, Lord, that brings life. And Lord, this morning as we bow together as a church, we want to uh, pray for uh, the impact of your word upon our personal lives, upon the, the life of this church, Lord, upon our community. Lord, we, we look to you. And Father, we just pray that you would use this James study in the life of our church to, to teach us the principles of, of how to observe, interpret, and apply uh, your word to our lives. Father, will you make us keen readers? Will you give us a desire to, to not only know the Bible, but to know the God of the Bible? And Father, as we come this morning to uh, just uh, a year about your word and to take a look at Psalm 19, Father, we pray that you'd just inspire us, motivate us. Lord, give us a new desire uh, to know your word and to know you. And so, Father, we commit this day to you, this service to you, this sermon, and Lord, won't you speak into the life of our church. We, speak, we pray this all in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you'll turn your Bibles to Psalm 19, uh, we did study this psalm a little while ago, uh, but I kept this for this morning, so we didn't really take a close look at verses 7 to 11. Uh, the topic today is walking with the giants, and I have a, an award today for the first person a book. I'm going to be handing out books over the next while, so you might be lucky. One book, you can choose the three here, you can choose one of them. Uh, for the p- first person who can tell me who am I? Okay, there's a reward. Um, as I read up about this uh, spiritual giant, to be walking with the giants, um, three things really stuck out. And you can raise your hand if you know who it is uh, about this person. It's in your notes, by the way. Uh, does anyone need sermon notes? Uh, it's always good to take notes and to remember. Anyone need them? All good? Right. Um, the first thing that stuck out about this great man of God uh, was his love for God's word. His love. For God's word, uh, he was born in 1662. That's going to date it a bit for you. 1662, at the age of three, he could read. Um, and at the age of nine, he was competent in both Greek and Latin. Uh, he was the son of a pastor who was a nonconformist, who along with 2,000 other clergymen were rejected, were thrown out of their churches uh, because of the act of uniformity that was uh, um, uh, announced by King Charles II. Uh, these courageous men refused uh, to compromise their convictions. And because of that, because they wouldn't toe the line, uh, these pastors were thrown out of their churches uh, significantly. Uh, this, his father, this man's father, married Catherine uh, Matthews, an heiress of a, a large estate, and Catherine's father was not in a favor of this marriage. Um, and uh, because he said the following, nobody knows where this man comes from, to which Catherine said, but he knows where he's going, and I would like to go with him. Well, I hope you ladies uh, have a similar attitude, and uh, you gentlemen, um, as, a, as a young boy, he was physically weak, but very quickly, Henry not Henry Matthews, no, uh, you're close, uh, Okay, so uh, he was weak, very close, but not Henry Matthews. Matthew Henry, okay, you can claim your book. Okay. 
You can come and get it. She deserves it after the worship. Which one would you like to choose? Would you look afterwards? You can look and bring one back. Okay, right. Uh, uh, he was physically weak, but his strength of intellect and character soon made themselves name, uh, known. And in fact, by the age of three, uh, this young boy was already reading the Bible. That's quite incredible uh, as I think about that. By the age of nine, as I said, he was competent in Greek and Hebrew. Um, he loved to hear his dad preach. I hope it's the same with my kids. Who knows? Uh, and I do know. But uh, Psalm 51 verse 17 was instrumental in him becoming a Christian. And uh, that verse says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart uh, you will not despise. Uh, this young man, he became a pastor and... Um, he was known as a good and godly man, even amongst the uh, churches that weren't part of the nonconformist movement. He became a powerful preacher, and uh, in his ministry, he served one church for 25 years, almost as long as Mike, uh, our previous pastor here. Um, and about the Bible, he said the following, Take pains while you live. The scripture still affords new things. To those who, who search them and no place like my own study, no company like good books, especially the book of God. This man really loved the word of God. Um, he spent his life in the word. So he loved the Bible and the key date in his life is November 12. 1704, uh, this is the date that he started writing his famous commentary, Matthew Henry. Uh, you should have got the book, um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Arnold. Uh, but uh, his goal, and, and he spent the next 10 years writing this commentary, starting in, in Genesis and, and working through. Um, his goal was not to make an academic uh, commentary, but a, but a practical one. And um, listen to this, his notes came from his own sermons, and listen to this, his own expositions of scripture given at family worship. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful, should I say? Not amazing. Uh, as he shared with his family and led devotions, uh, some of the, the comments in his commentary came from that. Um, he's at his best in Genesis and Psalms and the Gospels, uh, and, he, and he got as far as Acts in writing his uh, 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 um, in writing the commentary at least, and then he passed away. Um, and, and when he passed away, his friends, his pastoral friends, collected the rest of his sermons and his notes. They must have taken notes. Maybe his kids and his wife were taking notes at the family altar, and they put it together for the rest of that commentary. Not as good as the uh, uh, after from Romans to Revelation. Uh, well, John Wesley, I hope you'll know who John Wesley is, the famous Methodist who started the Methodist movement. Uh, he published... His commentary in 1785, and he felt everybody should read it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the, the famous preacher uh, in London, he said about his, con uh, his commentary, suitable to everybody, instructive to all. And he went on to say that every minister should read consecutively through the whole commentary uh, sometime in their lifetime. And then George Whitfield, the, the, the famous evangelist, um, he would carry his commentaries. How many of you have a Matthew Henry, just by the way, at home? 
Okay, you know how big it is. It's a big chunk of a book, a book like carrying about three or four bricks. And, and this guy would take it with him wherever he went. And, and usually he wasn't driving a car or a horse and carriage. This man was going by horseback. Um, and uh, he would read it daily on his knees. Quite amazing. How many of us read the Bible on our knees? Well, that's how seriously he took it. Matthew Henry was quoted in the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, and apparently he's the originator of that phrase, creature comforts, and also the popular saying, all this and heaven too. Um, so this man, he loved God's will, word. Then we see his lifestyle, uh, and that lifestyle, he was studying the word, he was a student of the word, that's for your notes, um, and as I said, he became a powerful preacher, and he had a love for God's word. He'd go to his study before 5 a.m. when most people are sleeping still and prepare his exposition of God's word. Followed by breakfast and worship, he'd read from the Old Testament in the morning. He'd go back to his study again and right through to lunchtime. And then he'd go and visit all the people in his parish, all his church members. And then when it was supper again, he'd read the New Testament uh, and have worship and so on at the table, I guess. Um, and this man was committed to pass on a godly heritage to his children. And I really hope that we are in, in that same place, uh, that we pass on this godly heritage. Um, and then after supper, um, he'd go back to study and, and study again. And he said the following, take pains while you live. The scripture still affords us new things to those that search them. If you're going to discover the gems in Scripture, we have to search the Scriptures, read it. Uh, you need to do that. And he also said, there is no company like good books, especially the book of God. Um, and on his deathbed, he said the following uh, to a friend, You've been asked to take notice of sayings of, de of dying men. This is mine. That a life spent in the service of God and communion with Him is the most pleasant life that anyone can live in this world. So this man loved his Bible, his lifestyle, he was a student of the word, and his longing, this is the last one, is that people would get to know the word of God. Isn't that great? I hope that you have a longing that others would get to know the Word of God. And I'm sure I can just imagine that Psalm 19 must have been one of his favorites. Matthew Henry, uh, if you've got his commentary, it's uh, worth reading. Let's turn to, Matthew, uh, to Psalm at least 19. Uh, well done to Arnold and uh, to Sandy. Um, Psalm 19, which speaks about the Word. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are sure, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, 
than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, the honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also, it says, from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, as we look at this reading, I want you to notice a few things. The first thing is that we find six titles of God's word in this reading. Can you, can you see them? Who can see the six titles? You can tell me. Let's interact a little bit. What are the six subtitles of God's word? What's the first one? The law. The next one? Testimonies. Precepts. Commandments, fear, and then the last one is either, depending what translation you've got, decrees, judgments, or or ordinances on the different translations. So we we find six titles of of God's word, and, and then we find six characteristics. What are they? The word is perfect, trustworthy, right. Radiant, pure, sure, you're good readers. Okay, six six titles, six characteristics, and, and then six benefits. In other words, what does the Word of God do? Right, who can help us with that one? Okay, it restores or revives the soul. It makes the foolish person wise. Gives joy to the heart. Gives light to the eyes, even more than when you look at your uh, girlfriend's eyes. Yes. Okay, what else? Endures forever and it's sure and it produces righteousness. Right. Now here's the more difficult one. There are six declarations uh, in this passage before you. Six times... The writer uses a significant word, and that little word is of. Okay? Six times the writer says, of the Lord. In other words, Scripture is of the Lord. It is inspired by God. God is the author. And remember the words in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is... God breathed, or other translations, is inspired. In other words, its origin is God himself. It's inspired by God, and therefore it is inerrant. There's no mistakes in the Bible of any sort, no geography mistakes or whatever else. It is inerrant, it is free of error, and it does not lead us into error. That, that is very important. Now this morning we're going to look at the six benefits of the Word of God. And if you're taking notes, number one... The word of God, the scriptures, in other words, revive the soul or the heart. Verse 7, the first part, it begins, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now the word for law is Torah. 
In the Hebrew, it means instruction or direction or, or teaching. Uh, the Jews called the, the scrolls of the Lord, the Torah, but really it refers to all of God's revelation. Um, it comes from a word that means to shoot an arrow. Now, I don't know how many of you like, what do we call that when you shoot arrows, Timothy? Archery. Um, archery. That's the picture in mind. The teacher desires or aims to hit a target. God's word hits the targets of the heart or the soul. I want to say to you, if you're reading God's word, if you're studying God's word, that arrow will touch your soul. Have you experienced that? I hope you have. As God speaks through his word, the Lord of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In other words, it, it transforms, it restores, it gives new life to the soul or the heart. I like the New King James. It says it converts the inner person. It changes you so much so that Paul could write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think it's verse 17, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Friends, if you've encountered the word God in the word, you become a new person. The pastor once shared about uh, Jehovah's Witness, uh, a leader in Florida. He was a, a fifth generation Jehovah's Witness. His parents, his grandparents, his wife, his brothers, his sisters, they were all Jehovah's Witnesses. The, the father was a key leader uh, in the movement and was traveling in a car. And one day he, he switched on the radio and this pastor was, was preaching and he declared, he said something, Jesus is God. Now, just remember, if you don't know this, that uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is a God, but not the God. And um, he began to teach systematically through, through Scripture, and he showed, uh, he proved it from Scripture. Well, the man switched the radio off, but the next five days, uh, he was curious, and he, he turned on again his radio and listened to this preacher. Well, the amazing thing that this leader in the Jehovah's Witnesses, became a Christian and ended up in this pastor's church. How do you reach a, a false teacher? It is through the power of God's Word. Friends, do you believe in the transforming power of God's Word that shows us and teaches us everything about God? Through this last week, we've had different testimonies. I asked each evening of people to share about the power of God's life in their own personal lives or their friends or family, whatever. And it's amazing just to see time and time again how when God, people have encountered the Word of God, their lives have been radically, radically changed. I remember growing up in Cape Town Baptists, and there was a man there who was a drunkard. He lost everything, his family, his house. Uh, everything was taken away because of his lifestyle. He lost everything. But one day he, he came to church for some other reason, and he heard the word of God. And I remember growing up, this man, this elderly man, he, could, uh, he, was, he just learned scripture. He loved scripture, and he could quote any of a hundred verses or so uh, because he loved God's word. It had changed his life. 
You see, Scripture has the power through the Spirit to, to change, to transform the whole inner man. And that is why Satan wants us to water down the Word. He wants us not to read the Word and one of his greatest strategies in, in your life and in my life is to keep us from the word. To allow us to, to be busy and for us to say to ourselves, we cannot read uh, the, the word of God. Friends, scripture is the testimony of our Lord. It is God's self-revelation. It is God's testimony. It is God's self-disclosure. Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. It is the inspired, perfect Word of God, true in absolutely every way. And that is why one of my favorite verses the Apostle could quote, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's the message that we find in the word of God about Jesus Christ who came to save us. Paul would write and would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Isn't that incredible? Can we say an amen? We're asleep. Amen. Hallelujah. The, the roof's not rattling yet. The window's still standing there. So first, the Word of God, it transforms the soul, the heart. But number two, the Word of God establishes wisdom. Verse 7, the second part of verse 7, the statutes are, are like the ESV, the English Standard Version, it calls a, a testimony. The statutes or testimony of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Now you know why there's hope for the pastor. Some of you are awake. The statutes refer to the Ten Commandments, but all of Scripture is God's witness to who He is, to what He's said and done. And listen carefully to what he wants us to be and to do. The Hebrew word for simple is ignorance. It's, it's somebody who is without understanding. It's very interesting that the, the root meaning of this Hebrew word means to, be, uh, to open the door. People say, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'll, I'll let anything into my brain or my, my thinking. Well, do you know that the Latin equivalent is the word ignoramus? Now remember, as a child, we want to insult our brother or sister, we'd call them a, an ignoramus, a nitwit or an idiot, or whatever else you want to call it. But friends, that's what they're saying. We, we, we need to, as Christians, close that door. The Word teaches you to distinguish between right and wrong. It is critical to producing wisdom. And wisdom, remember, is not just knowing things, but it's applying knowledge in our lives. It's not just theory, it's how to do life. And so the Word of God, it 
not only revives the soul, but it establishes wisdom in the life of the believer that reads the word. But thirdly, the word of God produces joy in the heart or the soul. Verse 8, the first part. Verse 8 begins, the precepts of the Lord. Friends, the, the Bible is doctrine, it's principles, it's, it's truths, it's, it's God's detailed in instructions concerning practical matters of, of daily life. I don't know if you've heard that people say, they think and they say that, that doctrine is divisive. Ever heard that? Doctrine is divisive. I want to say this morning, and we see this in this passage, it says that the precepts of the Lord are, are what? Are? Are right. The precepts, the doctrines, the, the teachings of, of God is right. In other words, what it means is that it puts, us, uh, it puts our lives in the right direction. You know, there's a, a lot of people who are going in the, the wrong direction right now. I think of schools and, and discipline issues. Every school has uh, discipline issues. And, and years ago it was eating gum and standing out of lines and, and talking when you shouldn't be talking and so on. Today it's, it's drugs and suicides and, and, teach, and, and, and cheating and so on. Friends, the, the word of God will put you down the right path. Pastor was preaching a series on marriage, and a couple came to him and said, Pastor, we, we want to do what's right in our marriage. Well, now they know because they study the Word of God. That's what the pastor's advice was. Just read the Word. Their lives are informed by the Word of God. And you know what? They're traveling down the right road. You see, the Word of God will send you down the right path. We call that sanctification. It's making a person who, who, who lacks discretion become skilled in living and, and doing the, the right things. Psalm 119 and verse 105. Sandy, I think, read it earlier. Your word is a what? Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Friends, walk in it. There is a path, says scripture, that seems right to a man, but it leads to, to death. Scripture, that's the, that's the way to walk. Verse 8, what is the result of this? It is a path of joy. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish each other with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And here's the word, it's the same word, with gratitude in your hearts to God. You see, there's an exuberant joy to be found when we read God's word. And friends, we live in a, in a dismal age where things are going wrong. But you know, when your life is going right, there, there is joy. The Apostle John says in John 15 and verse 11, I write to you that your joy may be, might be, that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be complete. Friends, God wants our joy to be complete. He wants completeness in our, in our lives. What did Jeremiah, that weeping, depressed prophet, say to God? Jeremiah 5.16 Your words, in other words, scripture, your words were food and I ate them. And your words were in me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. This guy was seriously depressed. If you read through the book of Jeremiah, he found peace and joy in the word of God. And even though he lived a, a life of crisis and opposition because he was a, a man who spoke, a prophet who spoke to, into the life of his nation, was persecuted for that. In the midst of all that, he could find joy. And so we see the word of God leads us to joy. Fourthly, the word of God brings enlightenment, verse 8b. Verse 8, the commandments. The word means that which is appointed. The Bible isn't a book of suggestions or good thoughts or, or nice ideas. The Bible is the commands of a sovereign God, the God of the universe. We are commanded to believe its message, the gospel, repent, and make Jesus Lord. Do I need to say that again? In the scripture we have the commands of a sovereign God. A God is the creator of the, of the complete universe. That, that is mind-boggling. We are commanded to believe the gospel, to repent, to, to change our ways, and to make Jesus Lord of our lives. It is so clear that it enlightens the eyes. That's what the New King James says. The, the NIV says it gives light to the eyes. I want to ask you this morning, where do people get clarity after suicide and death and crisis and confusion? When, when darkness covers your life, where do you go to get clarity? Friends, I want to say this this morning, you find clarity and meaning in life in the Word of God. About two years, weeks ago, somebody who came to this church, they were just starting to come to church, they must have come maybe three, four, five times. Very sadly, this, this person committed suicide. Uh, we rushed out, it's a long story, but we were just too late, about three hours too late. Uh, my wife got an SMS telling us some of the details from this girl. It was tragic, absolutely tragic. We watched this funeral online and, and her parents are, 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 are Christians in a Baptist church, an Afrikaans Baptist church in, in Johannesburg. And the, the, the father got up and he, he gave an incredible testimony about the hope that he finds in the word of God. At a time like this, and this is the third child that he has lost. Yet a baby or a young child, two years old, I think it was, that, that passed away just a year ago, two years ago, his son passed away from COVID, and his third child has passed away. But you know, in the midst of all that, 
God's word has brought hope. I'll never forget some years ago, one of the guys in our, one of my previous churches, his wife left him, went off with another person, tragically, and even left the country. And we were studying at that time, there was a men's group studying the book of Romans. And we as a group, and he as a husband, be, began to, to cling on to the, the, the hope of, of the word of God. And we, we took it literally, we listened to the word of God. All things work for, for, for the good of those who love God. I won't tell the whole long story, but his wife, and, and this wife had left him and their children but you know, she came back and today they are happily married. God's work, God's word at least, works amazing things in people's lives because it enlightens our mind about what God can do and the truth that we need to know. God's word brings enlightenment. And then fifthly, the word of God leads you to, and I choose this word carefully, authentic worship. It leads us to authentic worship. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord. Now that's a really un unusual name for the word of God. The fear of the Lord. That's the, 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 the name for scripture in this passage. The fear, it's an unusual name for the scriptures. But it reminds us that we cannot learn the word of God if we do not show reverence and respect for the God of the Bible. Let me say that again. We cannot learn the word of God if we do not show reverence and respect for the God of the word. You see, to, to teach the Bible is to teach the fear of God. David says in Psalm 34, 11, Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, the Bible is God's manual of worship. Fear can mean uh, awe or reverence or wonder or respect or honor. And to sum up, it means divine worship. The fear of the Lord, says Proverbs 9 and verse 10, is the beginning of what? The beginning of wisdom. Scripture tells us how to worship the Lord. How to worship. It tells us about God so that we can worship Him. When you need to know how to worship Him, you go to His Word. The fear of the Lord, what does it say is? It is pure. In other words, it's without error. It's without corruption. It is without evil. It is without impurity. It is without that which defiles our lives. For every generation, the Word of God is the source of divine truth. Some pastors once invited, I believe, by Billy Graham to debate at a homosexual church in Los Angeles. 
The pastors of this church, they, they said the following, this Bible, it's a, it's a good book, we, we like it. But when it comes to psychology and, and social, sociology and so on, it's a primitive book. And you know, humanity has come so far. And so one of the pastors got up and he said the following. So you are sitting in judgment on the word of God. You're going to stand before God one day and say to him, his book is antiquated and outdated. Friends, the living and abiding word of God shall never perish It will, as the psalm says, endure forever. Amen. Part of our worship is not just singing in the church on a Sunday morning. It is how we live, not just attending a service, but living out God's truth in our lives. Listen to Psalm 119 and verse 2. Blessed, says the psalmist, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Like Matthew Henry, who, who sought God in the word, we need to seek God by reading the word of God. Psalm 119 verses 9 to 11, those well-known words we learned when in Sunday school. How can a, a young man keep his way pure? By what? We have to speak to the Sunday School Department. By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Authentic worship, God honoring worship. Is what the Bible is all about. And finally, number six. God's word reveals God's truth that produces righteousness in your life and my life. The second part of verse nine. Verse nine, it says, and the King James says, the, the New King James, the judgments, the, the NIV has the word ordinances or decrees. And I must just say, uh, just by the way, that there are different versions of the NIV. If you didn't know that, there are different versions. Uh, 30 years ago, I bought a, an, a copy of the NIV, and I love that translation. More recently, there's been a, a, another, trans, uh, another a version of the NIV. It's come out. It's taken all the he's out, and it speaks about people and so on. Uh, not so great. Not great at all, in fact. But it has, if you look at the two different versions, I, I picked it up and I was studying ordinances or decrees, But I like the New King James. The judgment of the Lord are true. Now, this is judicial language. It's talking about divine verdicts. It refers to the decision of a judge on the divine bench of heaven. Scripture gives God's verdicts. It's it's decisive. God demonstrates his, his verdict that says very clearly where the righteous will go and where the unrighteous will go. It contains God's verdicts on life, on the human race, on the angels that fell in heaven, on sin and so on. 
and it's true, it's true. I, I can't emphasize that enough. In the world of, of lies and deception, friends, I can't emphasize the fact that the Bible is true. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. John says, your word. In other words, scripture is truth. Now, what does this truth do? Friends, it produces righteousness, comprehensive righteousness in, in your life and my life. Why is that? Because after studying God's word day by day, sitting in Bible studies or, or life groups and listening to sermons, your view on everything in life is, your view on life, should I say, is, is right. I'm not right. Friends, the, 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 the Bible is right. And as a result, verse 10, the word of God, the scriptures we hold in our hands, the Bible is the best commodity on offer. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. You see, scripture is the, is the sweetest thing in the world that the world has to offer. Moreover, it is the greatest possession and the greatest pleasure. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned. In other words, Scripture, the words of God, are our greatest possession. Not just that, it is our greatest provider. Verse 11, in keeping them there is great reward. Remember God's word to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8, as he started out to lead God's people. Keep this book of the Lord always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll be what? Prosperous and successful. We can see some people read the Bible well. Take the word, the word of God and meditate on it all day long then you'll be acceptable in the eyes of in the sight of God who is your rock and your redeemer verse 12 and 13 but who can discern their own errors forgive my hidden faults keep your servant also from willful sins may they not rule over me then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. The word purifies your life. It shows you your blind spots. Let me say that all of us have blind spots. You know, we can all see what everyone else is doing wrong. But we can't see our own things that we do wrong. It keeps us from sin. Verse 14, may the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, your words should be about his word. Your thoughts should be about his thoughts. When they are about him, you will be kept 
from every temptation that comes your way. In the end, the word is our greatest possession, our greatest pleasure, our greatest provider, our greatest protector, and our greatest purifier. In closing a story, just recently I was reading about the English translator William Tyndale, lived a few centuries ago, who was strangled and burnt at a stake in 1536. Men like William Tyndale, who translated the, the Word of God, were, were absolutely fearless in their faith and their, their living for God. And his last recorded words were the following. Open the king of England's eyes. This martyr's prayer was answered in 1539, just three years later, when King Henry VIII allowed the Bible in every parish or church in England. Just imagine that the Bible had been banned up to that time, the, the English Bible at least, not the Latin one. But the English Bible had been banned in English churches. People didn't have access to the Bible. And that prayer was answered. Friends, we, we need to pray a, a similar prayer. Lord, open my eyes to the Word of God, to its grandeur, to its power, to its source. And our need to take it seriously. Let us pray. Father, this morning we thank you for these verses in, in Psalm 19 that, that open our, opens our eyes to the grandeur and, and power of the Word of God. Lord, to its author. Lord, to its impact in our lives. Oh God, won't you open our eyes this morning. Lord, to your word and to yourself. Lord, won't you place a, a new desire in our hearts to come to grips with your word, to, to study it with a passion. Lord, to, to set time aside to, to interact with your word and, and to interact with you. Because Father, we know that the word leads to its writer, its author. Father, won't you inspire us won't you encourage us, Lord, to commit ourselves afresh to the Word of God? Friends, while our, our heads are bowed, won't, we, won't you just pray this morning, Lord, give me a, a new desire for your Word. Father, open my eyes to, to the greatness, the awesomeness, the, the holiness of your, of your Word. Father, give me the, the drive to, to begin to study and, and read the Word. Lord, as we, we go through the book of James, won't you give me that passion to study and discover the great gems and truths in your word, the facets of the diamond that we, we find, the, the treasures we find in the word of God. Won't you pray it right now? Father, we thank you this morning for your truth. Lord, we pray this in your wonderful and precious name. Amen.